Hello and welcome to Unbox, the podcast that dives deep into the world of custom packaging and innovative brand experiences. In each episode, we'll be exploring the latest trends, innovations, and best practices in the design and packing industry, and then taking a look at how they can help businesses like Yars to create memorable and impactful brand experiences. I'm your host, Sam Johnston. Let's get started. I'm your host, Sam Johnson, and in this episode, we'll be talking to Jennifer Stalin, who has led marketing at some of the biggest brands on the planet. We're talking the Facebooks and Playstations of the world, the list goes on. And she's also the founder of Memesy Magic, which is an incredible organization where they provide sensory kits to spark imagination and expand children's minds. And they're on a mission to provide joyful childhood moments one kid at a time. And I, for one, can't shout enough about the good that this brand is doing in the world. We're excited to have her on. Great to have you here, Jen. Sam, I really appreciate the enthusiastic intro. Perfect. No, good. Well, as always, we're going to go through um, five questions here, and the listener is kind of usually expecting those. So the first one's going to be, what inspired our guests today to get into their career, get stuck into building brands and working with the products that they're doing, and how do they get their start in the field? The next one's going to be, how do they think custom packaging and product brand experiences can contribute to creating a loyal customer base? Maybe there's some examples they've seen out in the wild. The third one's going to be, can they share any success stories or case studies maybe where businesses have transformed their brand through marketing, branding exercises, packaging, and general other things. The fourth one will be, what are some of the biggest challenges or roadblocks that businesses face when it comes to product, bringing those to market, branding, and creating those experiences, and how might you, the listener, overcome them, learning from some of the experience that she has. And the last but not least will be looking at the future, a bit of a forecast on, let's look at the future, maybe five to 10 years ahead, what's going to be happening in the world of packaging, products, and brand, and what could businesses be doing today to stay ahead of that curve? So... Without further ado, let's work all the way back to that first question, which was, what inspired you, Jan, to get stuck into your career and get to where you are today? Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. I am—I do not have a background in packaging and CPG. I have been working in entertainment as far back as I can remember, and I had an identity crisis about it at one point, and I thought, is this really how I'm spending my life? But yes, it is. I think there's a lot of joy and goodness in the world around storytelling and play and having that leisure time to let down and connect with people. And so upon further reflection, I can totally see why that led to launching a a toy brand at one point. So that's how I got into custom packaging and the product industry. I was a pandemic parent. I had a toddler in the middle of the pandemic who was a bit speech delayed, like a lot of children were because mm-hmm. nobody was getting out of the house or seeing anybody talk other than mom and dad. And I learned that speech delay can really be helped by sensory play because it deepens the neurological connections that are made in a child's brain when they explore and learn about the world through play and experimentation. So I got really into sensory play, but it was really difficult as a mom. There's a lot of pieces. that go into it, a lot of planning. And I finally, I couldn't buy any more of those because there was just too much plastic in my house and I was overwhelmed by the mess. And I realized nobody else is filling this gap in the market. I think that's going to be me. And I've never been the kind of person to just sit by and let an opportunity like that go by. If something needs to be done, I jump right in. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got started. And I have made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I've learned so much and I'm happy to share it with your listeners today. Love that. What a journey. And I think a lot of parents or even listeners out here that are just, you know, getting stuck into this now, 
um i kind of had a similar experience through the pandemic it was such a different um cycle of life and you know bringing up children through that experience is challenging enough um never mind all the additional stuff that has to be done just to survive through it but also you know getting their development through the stages it needs to be uh, have you seen um a good kind of reception from the market today post pandemic are people engaging with you on this oh absolutely they're so excited about it i think even outside of sensory play parents are overwhelmed by toys yeah the the mess is a lot you, it's so hard not to get that new thing that your child's really excited about and and it feels so good to see the joy on their face when they have a new toy and all of the new play that comes from this new inspiration and i think that there's a lot of assumptions in the toy industry right now about the safety around plastic toys mm-hmm. that it's the the safer alternative and it's um it's the easier alternative it's easy to clean um but actually they break just as much as anything <laughs> they are cheaper that is a more cost effective way to go absolutely but when you think about cost on a much broader scale what is it costing our planet what is it cost the people who are involved I don't think that that's a, a necessarily the correct assumption. So, I had a really hard time initially figuring out how to build these sensory kits in a sustainable way, something that was good for people and good for the planet because the toy industry is just really not geared this direction right now. There's a handful of companies who have explored sustainable toys, but the industry as a whole has really not gone this direction and this like fast fashion and the same thinking has been applied to toys of like fast toys produce it quickly make it cheap make it light get it to people quickly and then what um has it, it's really not evolved and i i think it's the time i think people care a lot more about that and as you said during the pandemic we were all living a, a really different unusual um special and unique kind of experience where there was a lot of investment in our homes and we were spending so much time in our home and we wanted our home to be comfortable and beautiful and a reflection of ourselves and when you look around at a pile of plastic toys that are in varying conditions of cleanliness or or uh, brokenness, right? One of the reasons I, I leaned into the sustainability, the natural materials and the the beautiful, really open, airy art and design of our toys is because I wanted mom to feel like she had something beautiful in her house that worked for her and worked for her children at the end of the day. Um, we, sensory kits include a lot of different pieces, which is really intimidating. It, it, when I first became a mom, I was like, I'm absolutely not buying a toy that has more than two parts. Like I am not managing to keep all of these pieces together. I have enough on my plate that is just a non-starter for me. But once I learned about all of the benefits of sensory play, how it's anxiety reducing by up to 65% and one in three children in the US are at risk of stress-related health issues. I was like, okay, well, this is great. We got to do this. When you learn about the learning that comes from it, the deeper neurological connections, that it helps with speech and language development, gross motor skills, social skills, imaginary play, independent play. I was like, I'm sold, but how do I make this work in my life? So I'm not going crazy and managing a thousand tiny parts all the time. So that was one of the reasons I really focused on creating a kit that was really simple that worked for mom and it works for the little ones. It's easy 
to get it started, you literally take the top off, hand it over, and they go to town. Mm -hmm. And then when it's done, you just take all those little pieces and put them back in this beautiful bamboo box that has a wrap around the side um, with a design that corresponds to the theme. So even when you've got the boxes stacked on your bookshelf, you know exactly which one you're pulling off immediately. Is this the, the Halloween one or the mermaid one or the dinosaur one? You can see that without even undoing the whole pile and, you know, read the top of it and see what's or open it up and see what's in there. So I really thought about what works for mom and the little ones when I made this happen, because if it doesn't work for both of you, like it's not it's a non-starter, right? Like it's got to work for the whole family. I love that. Yeah. I mean, so often there's just a crate or a box that everything goes into and it's chaos in there. And then we put it in, forget about it, open it up and then it's chaos and put it back. But I think that within any kind of bringing a new product to market there's usually like an early adopter crowd there's like one tribe of people that are feeling the pain or one they're always looking for something new and you've hit such a really good like niche in this specific area and i think that it leads nicely onto this next question which is the how does custom packaging and product brand experiences contribute to creating a low customer base and i know that within this product i've seen the boxes they're beautiful and for you know any of the moms out there that are looking for something that they're going to enjoy seeing visually in their house as well it doesn't just go under a, inside some large closet or into a big crate um how does custom packaging and product brand experiences contribute to creating a loyal customer base for your business I'm so committed to the packaging on this product that it's cost me months, um, delayed my launch by several months. At one point, I felt a lot of pressure to get in market just before the holidays last year. And I thought these, this bamboo storage box is, is not going to make it. Is it worth it to just go with a cardboard box solution like a FabFitFun or a BarkBox kind of design that's still beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and you could put a lot of branding on it and it would get us in the market sooner. And at the last minute, I decided it's it's just not worth it. I have to start with the correct product. As a user of the product, I know how important the containment of this mess is, right? Like that's the secret sauce to the product. Um, and so I I made a really difficult decision and said, we're just, we're going to delay launching. We're going to delay shipping. We're going to delay our any money coming in and we will just do it right from the get-go because those first customers are going to be our evangelists forevermore for the brand. And I don't want that first experience to be incomplete. Mm-hmm. And how have, how have customers reacted to it? Have you had a good reception from, in particular, that packaging and the all the yes. thought that's gone into it? Yeah, they love it. And actually, it's so funny when you start doing product research, especially when you're working with kids, mm-hmm. to see the way they think about things is so different than the way adults do because we've been trained and conditioned our whole lives to think, oh, that's the lid of a storage box. Set that aside so I can play now. But the lid actually became like the little play mat that the children were using. Nice. So a few of them were working off of it because it's that natural bamboo color. And they integrated it into the play that they were doing and it made it really portable. They could take it from the coffee table over to the kitchen and just kind of follow mom along with it. Yeah. Um, especially for the dinosaur kit, like the bamboo just, it really works <laughs> with yeah. the color scheme and everything. So that really surprised me. And I was like, of course they've thought of that. And uh, there are other sensory companies out there that are selling um, plastic mats for playing on. And I was like, look at this. You don't need a plastic mat for this. Like the, the mess is contained. The Play-Doh is on the lid. It's all good. It's working. That's awesome. Well, um, I guess looking outside of the brand, um, I'm looking at like into the market. Is there any experiences where you've seen that maybe a brand has transformed its business by doing a new set of branding, redoing the packaging or going through new design exercises? Did you have like any inspiration brands out there when you were looking at this? 
So on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I have been working with uh, one of my friends from college is launching a an adult toy. And we were talking about the packaging and how how do you make sure that it appeals to both the men and the women who will be included with this, right? Like you still want it to look very adult so that kids aren't picking mm-hmm. this up should it ever be on a shelf where they would be around, right? Um, but also she wants to make sure that it appeals to both. And generally speaking, like the industry has been geared towards men. So she really wanted women to understand that they were invited. This is for them. This is a brand for them. Um, so that was a really interesting exercise. And, and I know from my marketing background that you want creative assets that are really distinct within your category. So everybody else was going with like, clouds and pink and purple with some kind of metal, uh, gold, silver, something really shiny that popped. Mm-hmm. And that's what spoke to me first when I saw the, the, uh, the, the packaging designs. Mm-hmm. And then I did a little research on what everything else looked like and what is, what shelf is it going to be on against which competitors? And yeah. everybody was going for that. And I said, oh, okay, actually... <laughs> Let's go the opposite direction. Let's, it was an interesting exercise. The same principles apply whatever the product is that you're marketing, right? Like you want to stand yes. out, really distinct. You got to make sure that branding pulls through everywhere in your ads on your site, um, so that people, you know, they got a lot they're thinking about. They're not thinking about your product. Yeah. They're going about their day, and then your product or your ad comes through passively in the the peripheral of what they've got going on. So you want to make it as simple as possible for them to connect those breadcrumbs. That's perfect. I love that. Yeah. I mean, such a, it's a contrasting market, but exactly the same principles. So like you're saying, exactly. And and I think that it would be good for the listener maybe to get this, this fourth question where you've gone through the process of taking things to market. Of course, you know, outside of this, within your career, you've taken a lot of things to market and done some really cool stuff. What are some of the biggest challenges or roadblocks that a new business is going to face when it's bringing a product to market? Uh, how, how might they overcome them? Oh man, I've had so much more sympathy for small business owners who are doing this all on their own now, because I, I realize why marketing is an entire career. It's a whole job in and of itself. That's like phase two. Mm-hmm. That was the part I felt really comfortable about when launching a new brand. And for me, I thought that the difficult part would be learning how to get it together to where we're ready to ship something. Um, but now I have so much more empathy for how many things a small business owner has going on all day long. And when you're in the weeds, it can be really hard to zoom out and think really customer first and how are they experiencing your brand. And something I hear all the time from uh, business owners in my in my mastermind is that I feel like I'm talking about my product all day long. And then I run into a friend who's like, I, I haven't heard about this. This is amazing. You're literally my friend. I see you at the park every other week. How have we not discussed this? So I, I know that it can it can feel really repetitive at times and it can feel like you're just shouting into the void, but there are people out there who are resonating with what you're saying and the more personal that you can make it feel and the more consistent that you can make it, the more progress you're going to get. Knowing that big brands like Coca-Cola have to have you see an ad seven times before it really sticks in someone's brain. That's Coca-Cola. They've been around forever. How many millions and billions have they poured into their mm-hmm. advertising over the years, right? Um, so for small business owners, I think it really starts with resonating. You got to make that impact with every impression that you get in front of someone. That's great. I love that. And, and with the with the packaging, because I guess 
with your product in particular, there's yeah. a, there's a lot more benefit to this product than just it being a toy in a box, right? So how do you, right. how have you found it getting that information across in your packaging? Like, can you, if somebody walks up past it, are they going to know what all the benefits are and how it works? I don't think they are because at this point, sensory play has really come up within the neurodivergent community. The their loved one learned to process sensory inputs and get stronger at that, um, the physical and the mental challenge that sensory inputs can provide, right? Mm -hmm. Along the way, we realized, well, if this is working for neurodivergent children, this is great for neurotypical children too. And we still see a lot of benefit. We know that 90% of your reactions and decisions in the world come from your somatic system, from your nervous system, right? So when if you're a leader, if you're a CEO or a small business owner, and you're in a really stressful situation, 90% of your reaction comes from how your nervous system is feeling at the time. So if your nervous system is not taken care of, and it automatically goes to a bad place, a traumatic place, back to a bad memory of how this turned out the last time, that's overwhelmingly going to influence your decision making. And it's it's going to block a lot of rational thinking about how to get out of the situation. Mm -hmm. So I think adults and children, I, I think that society is getting to that point where we're realizing the importance of taking care of our somatic system and our reaction at a, a neurological, at a nervous system level. And that's going to make such a difference. And so this product really being with within neurodivergent communities, there's so much potential to explain the value and to evangelize the value to a much broader audience. Mm -hmm. And they haven't had any exposure to it. So I think I do have a lot of, um, of making up to do with a, a broad audience to explain this, uh, the product, the value, there's so many different angles to it. Mm -hmm. And it can be really overwhelming. So something yeah. I have to do is take a step back and think about how do I provide value to this person, this individual person um, in this moment? Do they care most about anxiety and stress reduction? Do they care most about the learning and the purposeful, meaningful play that comes from this? Do they care most about mom's really overwhelmed and can't cook dinner at five o'clock and they need something that's really going to engage their child? Or the economy is in an interesting place right now. Is it more of uh, a message about value. How much time are they going to spend playing with this toy for my $40 investment? Yeah. And for some people, it's the sustainability angle. Like they're just not going to buy a toy that adds to the plastic buildup in the world. Um, and so I feel like we've, we've checked the boxes in a lot of different ways for each of these communities. We've got a buyback program for people who are concerned about the number of toys in the world. Ship it back to us. We'll refresh it and we'll donate it to a school. Okay. So we're trying to do a, a value-driven company at every level. Like we're, we're doing as much as we can for the people and the planet all the time. It's just about picking which mes message is going to resonate with that person and the moment perfect um well let's let's move it on to the last question here which is putting kind of looking at the future i'm not an economist you know it's hard for me to look into the future uh, i haven't got a a ball i can look into but if you were to look say five to ten years into the future um what do you think is going to change as far as packaging and these extended brand experiences go whether it's in retail or e-commerce and what could businesses be doing today to stay ahead of that curve i 
I'm gonna air my dirty laundry here. I have so many cardboard Amazon boxes that I need to do something with every month. <laughs> it, <laughs> Amazon is, is, is so helpful for so many moms out there, right? Especially when you have a really little one, like you run out of diapers so fast. Gotta get the diapers here tomorrow. And I don't live in a, in a place where I can run five minutes to Target. So it's an hour trip for me to go down the hill into the town to get something. So I, I try very hard to stay stocked up on things, but things come at you really fast with a little one and you've got a lot going on. Yeah. So it kills me to open a cardboard box and have a product in a cardboard box within that. Now I'm like, I have twice the cardboard boxes to do something with. And yes, you could recycle a cardboard box, but there's still a lot of energy in the world and from people and money and investment that goes into doing something with those cardboard boxes, right? Mm -hmm. And I just feel so guilty about it. And the more I've brought it up with other moms, they're all thinking about this as well. And it's not just me. It's like, do I need a yeah. second recycling bin? Like, what, where is all this cardboard going? Historically, when you went to a brick and mortar store, the the store was taking care of all this. We didn't get to see mm -hmm. it. But now that we're used to, we've changed the way that we live, right? And the cardboard is landing on our front porch and now it's our problem and not the company's problem. And it's changed the way that I think about things. And my husband got fed up with one company. He's like, I'm not buying anymore because I just can't take the amount of packaging that comes with it. It's not doing anything for my life or for the product. It's yep. just people are just not being considerate of it. Mm -hmm. that, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think there is movements happening around sustainability and there is um, there is some fantastic advancements in yeah. the technology behind like the the actual materials that are being used to print or, or to package or how we keep packages safe and make sure that the package arrives okay inside so the product arrives okay with inside the package rather than using plastic polystyrene and these types of things um and I, I think that over the next five to ten years that price point is going to lower as this technology gets better and as people get more more use into it um but it is still a massive problem for today um, and not only one that's easy to fix. We, we've recently been working with a client where they're using kind of seed cardboard um, and seed mm -hmm. paper that is able to just be planted. You can literally bury that stuff in the backyard. It's fully degradable. And then you have wildflowers that can come from it. Um, but there's a lot of regulatory issues around that. And, um, you know, there's new regulation coming out to help to deal with it. Um, but it, it's a challenge. So I think that you're absolutely right. There's going to be, there's a pain being felt out there and it's not being addressed effectively at the moment. Um, right. There's well, an opportunity, Sam. There is, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should start a business. We should do this. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I think the listeners have got some absolute gold here and I'm, I'm really excited for the, the new business owners and the people out there that have these exciting new product ideas that just haven't yet taken that leap or taken that step. And I think you're a great inspiration of somebody that has saw a tangible problem in, in the world, has had the, you know, the effort and the will to want to go out and actually take something to market and you're smashing it. So congratulations. It's really, really good to see. Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate the time to connect with you. I've learned so much from you on your podcast, and I hope that there was some helpful nuggets in here for your listeners as well. Yeah. And how could people reach out to you? What's the best way for them to, if they're like, I've got to find out about this, where should they go? Yeah, we do all of our sales on our own website. It's memesymagic.com, M-E-E-M-Z-Y. 
magic.com. A lot of people ask me, what is a memesy? And it's, a, it's the nickname my daughter came up with for my mom when she would visit. So we don't That's call her sweet. grandma, we call her memesy. And when I was thinking about what I wanted my brand to stand for and what I wanted people to feel like when they engaged with our toys, I just kept going back to that feeling when grandma visits and everyone's living their best life. <laughs> <laughs> and great. I said, you know what? The domain is available. Off we go. Jump on uh, it. So hopefully that helps people remember that. But we're on Instagram and Facebook. And we just launched our YouTube channel yesterday. Awesome. Where we've got fun little stop motion videos. Um, so anybody out there with littles who loves stop motion videos, find us at Memesy Magic. Love that. Awesome. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes to make sure we can get straight there. We're not having to go and search away. Um, and that is it for this episode of Unboxed. If you've enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review wherever you're listening to it. It means a lot to us and the algorithm overlords. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach us at unboxed.merchantboxes.com. Until next time, keep thinking outside the box and creating unforgettable brand experiences. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It was sponsored by Merchant Boxes. Merchant Boxes provide custom packaging to large businesses and small creators that customers love. If you're looking for award-winning custom package designs that make your business and products stand out from the competition, click the link in the show notes to find out more.